All right, let me change gears here by talking a little bit about who we are as a family. As uh, we have been sharing with you over the last couple of weeks, we wanted to talk about our core values and talk about who we are as the family of Bridgeway, which means I'm going to be making statements about how we should be. And that way, little by little, we all own and believe in that and begin to morph into that picture. So we've been sharing out our core values, of which we have five here at the church. The first one that I talked about was knowing God. Everything begins there. What you believe to be about God is the most important thing about you. Secondly, what Pastor Parnell talked about last week was loving generously. Does he not do a fantastic job every time he's here? He is nails. So he talked about loving generously. That is our second core value. Our third core value that I'm going to share with you today is building family. In the coming weeks, especially right after Easter, we will be talking about the other two, developing disciples and partnering missionally. These are the core values of Bridgeway. So in talking about building family, I want to read to you a statement of who we are as the family. And this is what I believe. Here's how it's going to work with you. It's a bit interactive. As I read each statement in your heart, if you go, yeah, no, 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 I'm behind that too. Then you can kind of go, yeah, in your heart. All right. Now it doesn't have to go out loud. If you want it to go out loud, it's going to sound something like this. Yeah. Okay. That's about it. Right. Some of you are pretty conservative. All right. So if you grunt, that is a legitimate hallelujah. All right. Now, if you're, if you're a little bit, a little bit more boisterous, all right, uh, and you kind of have one of those personalities that are, that are able to actually vocalize things, then what you may end up doing is going, yeah, amen, right? You can do that. Now, I'm going to keep reading the statement so it's all right to say it, and you're going to go, but I didn't hear your next phrase. Sorry about that. All right, here we go. We are, we are a family of God. We will treat each other with respect. We will rejoice with those who rejoice. We will mourn with those who mourn. We will care about one another personally. We will share our lives and our resources. We will invest in one another, realizing that victory in our brothers and sisters' lives is victory for us as a whole. We are not in competition with one another. We are cheerleaders of one another. We will make time to build friendships and push past the barriers that demand isolation. We will forgive offenses and we will continually seek reconciliation and restored relationships and value that over the convenience of letting it go. We will honor the older generation. We will strengthen the current generation and we will, uh, we will build up the next generation. We will recognize marriages and family as the cornerstone of God's strengthening of the church and therefore care for our own with all diligence. We will not consume one another, but we will build one another up until we all grow into the maturity of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will pray for and pour into God's family throughout the nations, not forgetting that our family members are suffering around the world. We will open our families to the orphan and to the abandoned so that the lonely might be put by God into families of love. Amen? Amen. That is who we are. 
When I say building families, I want to tell you what I mean. I want to get much more practical. I want to get much more specific. There are many areas about building family. I want to strike at the heart of two. What I mean is our nuclear families, the people that live down the hall from you, your family members, your spouse, your children. Um, and I also want to talk about church family. So let's dive into those two places. When we talk about the nuclear family, here's what I mean. I mean primarily two things, healthy marriages and thriving children, healthy marriages and thriving children. When I talk about marriages, here's what I mean. Marriages matter and healthy ones don't happen by accident. We all agree with that? Yes. Now, here's how it works. In our marriages, the type of marriages that we will herald out and proclaim at Bridgeway are marriages that have love and respect for one another. If you currently have a challenge in your marriage, there is likely a breakdown in the love and respect cycle. It'll either spin one way, which is, man, I feel like you absolutely love me. I easily respect you. Or wow, the way that you respect me, it makes it so much easier for me to love you. We can either go that way or we can spin the dysfunctional way, which is you don't respect me. I don't love you. You don't love me. I don't respect you. Either cycle is going to occur in our marriages. At Bridgeway, we are going to consistently push that it would spin in the functional way. When I'm talking about healthy marriages, I mean cultivating friendships. We must cultivate our relationships to where we like each other, to where we enjoy each other, where we want to share our lives together, to support one another, and to laugh together. The type of marriages we're talking about are friendship marriages. Because this whole idea of, well, we're committed only, hey, good on you for being committed, but dang, you're a drag. The marriages we're going to talk about are marriages where laughter is still in the home, where we're talking about marriages that like to be with each other and enjoy each other. You don't have to do everything together. It's the whole idea that when they come in the room, you go, that's my best friend. That's the type of marriage we're going to keep pushing for. But we also mean loyal commitment. Marriage was designed to be forever. What do I mean? I mean, God isn't playing around when he locks down and makes one flesh. That's serious business. To do so is to bind up hearts and souls into one entity which can never be fully unwound. And even a partial unwinding comes with great cost and destruction. God's standards of commitment haven't lowered with our society. It's our job to do what we need to do to keep our marriages healthy and to be together through the rough patches because they're going to come. When I talk about healthy marriages, I want to remind you the greatest enemy of any marriage is selfishness. If we believe that it's all about us, then we will make our spouse a consumable. When we do that, we will discard them the moment they are no longer useful to our consumption. We cannot be married on that premise. We are married on the premise that we are to lifelong serve our partners. That's how it works. But it's not just our marriages. It's also our parenting and our children. When I talk about thriving children, I'm telling you that our children are our primary mission field. That if we fail there, everything else comes undone. We must minister to our kids. We are merely managers of God's kids. 
I need us to understand that, that we are not to raise them up in our image, but in God's image, that it is not really about us. They're not our children. We are to raise them as he would raise them if he were in the home. That's how it works. Children are a gift from God, not a burden. The minute we allow the enemy to shift children into a burden mindset, we start feeling used. When we start feeling used, we start getting very resistant and we start getting angry. We must believe, and every parent that has ever lost a child will tell you, children are a gift. They're not a burden. I believe that we are to build each child uniquely. Here's what I mean. Every child is different and unique like a snowflake. It's our job to help release in them what God built into them. Again, it is not for us to shape them in our image, but in the image of the heavenly father and the image of his son, Jesus Christ. How do we do that? First of all, we must recognize that we as parents are the primary disciplers of our children, not institutions. Your school system will not raise your children well enough. Your youth program will not raise your children well enough. You are the primary discipler. Everything that happens outside of your home is a supplement It's supposed to get them fired up and get them around other kids. And we will invest heavily as a church into our children's programs and our youth programs because they're so valuable, but they're a supplement to what you're doing. You as a parent will be held accountable by God primarily for the spiritual walk of your children. That's important for us to understand. How do we raise them uniquely? We must listen to them deeply from our hearts. They will tell you in their little immature, awkward way what they need, but you got to listen. You can't always be talking, right? If you're barking at your children all the time, that's not going to fly. You can't hear and talk at the same time. So we got to listen deeply. And not only that, we need to be like a trellis in a garden. Y'all know what a trellis is? You think about those wire things um, that hold up the plants. Well, imagine a tomato plant crawling up a trellis. What a trellis does, it provides two things. Number one, it provides support, doesn't it? It lifts them up to be higher than they would normally. Your children should be lifted up from where you're at and go higher than you. Your children are not a means to an end for you to be lifted up. You are to lift them up. That's how it works. And a trellis provides boundaries. The tomato plant or any other plant can't go further than where the trellis is. So it holds it in. Do children need boundaries? Yes. Why? So they can harness their power and strength and explode in the power of the Lord. So yes, they do need boundaries. That's kind of how it works. But understand, you cannot hand out what you do not have. You cannot impart what you do not possess. If you want your children to be on fire for the Lord, they can't do that if you are not. The number one greatest gift you can give your children is a thriving Christian environment. That means a marriage where mom and dad actually love each other. That means an environment where Jesus isn't merely a cuss word, but he's a king. You understand what I'm talking about? So what we need to understand is that we're the role models, we're the teachers, Yes, more will be caught than taught in the home. However, sometimes you need to tell them why you believe what you believe. Because most of the time they're going, I have no idea why you keep doing that. Try to explain it to them. So do we build family? Yes, we do. How? 
in thriving marriages and thriving children, right? That's what we must do. But remember, it is not merely our homes. It is also our church family. Our church family matters. God is the father of all believers. Yes, that means we're all siblings. If we're all siblings, we're all brothers and sisters. You didn't choose me. I didn't choose you. We're brothers and sisters, period. And I've been hanging out lately with a lot of weird brothers and sisters. And they all think I'm weird. So praise God, right? That's just how it works. Here's what we must do in our family as siblings. You don't get to choose to be siblings, but you can choose to be friends. You know, uh, like for example, in my family, I have a brother and a sister of which I am friends with both of them. Friends, siblings are different and friendships take time. The way that our head of our household, Jesus Christ taught us is that respect is given to all and everyone serves everyone else in the family. There is no room for entitlement. There's no room for what about me? There's no room for I deserve all this. There's no room for me first. That doesn't exist in our family. Why? Because our dad, our heavenly father didn't act that way. He sets the tone. We also here as a spiritual family are an open family. What does that mean? It means there's no room for clicks. There's no room for favoritism. There's no room for us versus them. That's not how our family works. We are a wide open family, meaning that we minister and look for ministering to the fatherless, to the orphan. Why? Because orphans are a huge deal in the world. Our father came to a world full of orphans and put us into his family. We then should do the exact same. Interestingly enough, I recently heard a leader talk about a study done about the top 10 worst leaders of the world of all time. Now, it depends on what list you put together, right? In their list of the top worst ones like Hitler and stuff like that, all 10 of the worst leaders were orphans. The top 10 greatest leaders of all time, 50% of them were orphans. Why is that important? Because the craving of being left alone and trying to make your own identity will make you do extreme stuff. If we do not allow someone to receive and steep in their identity in Christ, that desperation will lead you to do some pretty crazy things. We are spending a year in identity as a church so that we are full in our hearts and we can actually love one another. Understand this. In uh, one of our ministries right here, this is our heart. We have a ministry here called Defending the Cause. Defending the Cause, this is one of their commitment core values. Listen to this. We are focused on bringing God's adoptive heart into our reality by ministering to fatherless kids and helping to strengthen their sense of family support and health. We attempt to show the love of the father to the fatherless in any way that we can. That is a hardcore value of our church. We are looking for the lonely to bring them in. We are always scouting a room to be able to say that person's not sitting with anyone. Hey, would you like to come hang out with us? That is a value we believe in very strongly. For some of us in this church, it is literally bringing in foster children. It is bringing in adopted children. For some of us, it's merely adopting a neighbor in and having them around your home. 
but somehow, some way, they cannot be alone. We're here. We also believe that our family here is intergenerational by design and by grace of God. And here's what I feel about the different age groups we have in this church. Our family is built of every generation and each generation brings gifts that God gives them alone. To miss any generation is to miss a building block of health. Therefore, we will honor each and invest in each. Let me give you an example. Although I believe every believer in the church is powerful and effective, there are two age groups that have greater opportunity to pour out their power and lead us. Those two groups are young adults and retired. They are the power players in the church. Why? Because we have a lot of young families. And some of you remember young families? Your mind is so busy trying to take care of your primary mission field, it's hard to get anything done. And it's very distracting. The young adults have the ability to be single focused. The retired and empty nesters have the ability to be single focused on the one needful thing. They then are able to harness their power and advance the church forward. I've recently had the opportunity and been asked to speak to the over 60s group at a number of different churches. Now, they must think that, well, I'm older than I look, all right? So uh, in doing so, I always share the same story. Take a look at your Bibles. In your Bibles, it says that most of the men and women of the Bible were called later in life to do their most powerful work. Whether we're talking about Joshua, we're talking about Abraham, or we're talking about Noah, or we're talking about any of them, it is later in life that God got rolling. It is when the Holy Spirit came in and said, now we fight. Now we make a difference. And so I believe very strongly that our older generation in this church will take new territory for us, and they are absolutely valued. But understand this. I feel the same way about the little babies. Understand, whenever I talk to young people, and I just recently went to Forest Lake Christian School and I spoke to them. When I talk to young people, I never say they're the leaders of tomorrow. That's garbage. They're the leaders of right now. Why? Because they didn't receive a junior Holy Spirit. Oh, you got the little baby one? The Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit. If the little kids get the whole Holy Spirit, then that means if they open their mouth, they're probably a more pure conduit than you are and I am. So if they start moving with the Lord, we better pay attention. So what's going on back there in our children's ministry is just as powerful as anything happening out here because God is there. Amen? And then I'll close with this portion We believe that our family here at Bridgeway is just scratching the surface. You realize we know we are part of all the other churches in our region. You understand I'm on the board of City Pastors Fellowship for a reason. Because we are one collective church. We are not a little walled off fortress and who cares about those other people. We are one big church. The Bible talks a lot about regional churches. When Paul wrote to the church of Galatia, that's not a city. That's a whole region. So they were unified into one. So what we need to do is realize all over the world, we have brothers and sisters, and some of them are hurting really bad. 
Some of them are in communist countries. Some of them are underneath the Taliban. Some of them are underneath ISIS. And we need to understand that just because we can't see them with our own eyes doesn't mean they don't exist. Even though we're comfortable doesn't mean that we're allowed to be peaceful in our comfort and not pray for them. Until they're peaceful, we're not ultimately peaceful. Because we serve in a church, in a body, in a family that is worldwide. Amen? Amen. Amen. What I want to do now is I want to take you from who we are. And I want to tell you why. I want to tell you through scripture why I'm so ferocious about the concept of family. And why we must receive this. What I'm about to tell you will only have value if it lodges in your heart. If you are waiting to hear something brand new, you may or may not. Cognitively, it may not be as impressive as what you must receive emotionally. I'm going to tell you the identity of who God says you are as a family. And this is how we begin. Now, um, y'all know that when you're obsessed with something and it's new, you always talk about it, even when people tell you not to talk about it. Okay, so that's me right now in a couple different areas. That's pretty much me anytime. But one of the things I'm really fired up about right now are TED Talks. Anybody know what TED is? Technology. All right, raise your hand if you know what TED is. Woo! All right, there's a whole bunch of you. Technology, entertainment, design. It started out as kind of a geek thing, and it ended up becoming a super popular thing. And what ends up happening is it's kind of morphed over the years, and they have brilliant speakers from all over the world come in, and they basically get 12 minutes to convince you of a concept. Now, I love someone that only talks for 12 minutes. I don't have that gift. <laughs> there's a certain reason why I'm not on TED Talks yet, all right? Uh, they're like, well, I'll give you 45, 48, 50. All right, cool. We'll do it. 12 minutes. You hit it. You get out recently. I actually have a whole list on my computer of the good ones versus the lame ones. So if y'all want to know what my idea about what I think is a good Ted talk, you can email me. I'll send you the list. Here's the point. The point is I recently came across a gentleman by the name of Robert Waldinger. Now I had no idea who the guy was and he was going to talk about the longest most significant study in happiness that we've ever done in the modern world. Now, I thought, okay, that's a very cool concept. Who is this guy? And this is where I began to chuckle. Robert Waldinger is a psychiatrist, a psychoanalyst, and a Zen priest. And I was like, wait, what? How did that get in there? Here's what he is. He is the fourth director of the Harvard Study of Adult Development. It is the longest study, and it's done by Harvard Institution, the longest study in happiness and about adult development in the world. For 75 years, they have studied 724 men that are tracked. 60 of them are still alive. They're in their 90s. They're being tracked their entire life. Now it's shifted into studying their more than 2,000 children. They're studying all of their spouses. What this means is every two years, they send out a questionnaire to them. They bring them in. They interview their families. They interview them. They take their blood. They scan their brains. They do everything every two years for 75 years. And this is where they got the guys from. I love this. Back in World War II era, just before World War II in the late 30s, they grabbed Harvard guys, sophomores, and they said, will you be part of a lifelong study? And a lot of them said that they would, about 300 of them. They then went into Boston's worst neighborhood, and they picked the ones that were most crime-ridden, the poorest, and they grabbed young men from there of the same age. 
They put both of them into the study and then watched them for the rest of their lives. Now, here's what they found out. After all this, tens of thousands of documents, here's what they came up with. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier. There you go. And you're like, seriously, that's it? Well, actually, let me tell you how they broke it down. They broke it down into three things. Number one, social connections are really good for us and loneliness kills. It's toxic. Here's what they mean. You'll die. Not like emotionally, you'll just die. Physically, your body can't handle loneliness. It begins to disintegrate. How crazy is that? Number two, it's not the number of friends or whether you're in a committed relationship. It is the quality of close relationships that makes the difference. Number three, good relationships protect our brains. If people in their 80s have someone in their life that they can count on, their brains stay intact. If they do not, their brains begin to disintegrate and fade. How crazy is that? Understand this. If you want the data, the data's there. If you want the analysis, the analysis is there. If I say things like, you guys, relationships are important. Y'all can think that you can take it or leave it. You can't. This is a fact. It's all over the place. This is how I loved how he closed it. He said, everybody wants a quick fix for happiness in life. That's simply not going to happen. Here's why. He said, relationships are messy and complicated and hard work and they're lifelong. But the happiest people in the world have people that are close to them. Now, that's the world's view. We could have just asked Jesus. God said it from the beginning. What did he say? Genesis chapter two. It is not good for man to be alone. God told us up front, you can't be alone or it'll wreck you. Now, here's what was interesting about that. He said that phrase before sin entered the world, right? Sin hadn't even come in yet. The fall hadn't happened. That means God was there and Adam still needed a person. It means that God designed it so God isn't enough for you to be fully human. It means that God put a void in you that you have to have community in order to have any understanding and purpose. It means that he, as a relational God, designed you relationally that in community life makes sense and in isolation it doesn't. Relationships are of absolute absolute utmost importance but it's more than acquaintance it's family here's something i found out intriguing i'm going through the study uh this study and prepping for it and i come across the passage about noah and it says you know we have noah he was on the ark and he built that whole thing and they had little animals well as they're coming off the ark here's the phrase that was used and noah and his family walked off the ark with every creeping beast with every uh beast of the field and with every bird and it says, quote, and they all walked out in families. Well, here's what's weird about that. The way that God looks at all of his creation, even animals, is in families. To him, family is the structure. It's how everything is compartmentalized. So then I look at the Abrahamic covenant, which says this, Abraham, through you, through your people, the Jews, through the Messiah that's going to come through the Jewish people, 
all families on earth will be blessed. How does God divvy up humankind? Families. Then I noticed how he structured Israel. How is Israel structured? Family, clan, tribe, nation. It's all family. Everything God designs, he designs in family structure. Why is that so important? The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Family is the cornerstone of God's creation. Family is the cornerstone of God's creation. Why? Because it's most like him. It's most like him. It tells a spiritual story and it reveals his nature. What do we need to know about that? God is the definition of all family. Here's why. Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family on earth and in heaven derives its name. God's nature in a triune being of father, son, Holy Spirit has the family dynamic that is poured out into his creation and reveals his nature. Family is the fabric of our reality because it's the fabric of God's reality. Mankind needs community to be fully human. Now understand this. Christianity is designed on relationship, is it not? How do we know that? What are the two greatest commandments? Relationship and relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's relationship vertical, relationship horizontal. If all of Christianity hinges on relationship and family, then it's a big deal. Would you agree? Yes, two of you would. Praise the Lord. (laughs) So here's the point. If God is father... It says in John 1:12, to all who received Jesus Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. Romans 8:15, and you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, then we are heirs. First John 3, 1, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Until we understand and receive and allow the identity to sink in that we are children of God, we will continue to try to perform as slaves keep his interests like friends, earn a reward like employees, or resist like enemies. But the fact remains that we are his children, and children don't need to do those things because they've been invited invited into the inner room of God's heart. Why? Because he wants it that way. You say, yeah, well, Jesus is his only begotten son. We're adopted. Hold up. Do you know the beauty of adoption? Do you have any idea? Here's what adoption means. I picked you. You didn't even know I was walking in the door. And I came when you weren't even looking for me. And I looked and I said, you will be mine. I don't know any of you uh, have family or friends that go through the adoption process. Let me tell you how it goes because I have a lot of them. Here's how the adoption process goes. It's super long. It's heartbreaking and it's really expensive. 
And I watch all my friends struggle to make sure that child will be theirs. This is how God acts towards us. He sent his one and only son who said, dad, I'll go rescue him. I'll go make him part of our family. And he went all the way through the cross and went through everything to scoop us in to be part of his family. Adoption means cherished. Adoption means selected. Adoption means loved. The problem with adoption is that at first you feel foreign. But the more you let the identity of your new family sink in, the more it feels natural. So until we as a family begin to receive that we are children of God and let it sink from our head down into our hearts and start emotionally feeling it, until that happens, we won't be healthy. Remember, if we are children, then we are heirs. An heir means you get what dad has. Who's our dad? God. What do we get? God's stuff. And yet we're still operating as if we need to scratch and claw to get everything that we can in this world. Seriously? Clearly we're not understanding who we are. We do not walk in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. We do not operate as if the Holy Spirit empowers us. We do not operate as if everywhere we walk is God's territory. That our dad owns it all. We don't operate with the fact that we are already loved 100% and God chose us when we were unlovable so we never have to earn his love. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not receiving this because if we truly received it, we'd act different. And if you remember, Jesus redefined family. He said, it's not just who you live with. When his mother and his brothers came to get him, you remember that? They thought he was insane. They said, everyone said, hey, Jesus, real quick, your mom and your brothers are out there. They want to talk to you. And he said, I'm sorry, who? Who are my mother and my brothers? Are they not my disciples right here? Are we not family? And he redefined. He was basically saying, until they believe that I am the Messiah, we're not family. This is my family. When he redefined that, he made church very important. I'm going to close with two quotes by a man named Kenneth Boa, a local gentleman that wrote a textbook on discipleship called Conform to His Image. And he said it better than I could. He said this about the importance of church. Life in Jesus is not meant to be solitary and individualistic, but shared and collective. The corporate life of the body of Christ is not optional. Participation in the life of a church is a necessary discipline and grace, particularly in a culture that is driven by independence and individualism. So here's what I'm asking of you. I'm asking of you to push through culture trying to convince you and make it easier for you to be isolated. Do you understand that culture is making it easy to be alone? Are we all clear on that? Everything's tailored to you. Everything's organized to you and you never have to leave your couch. I'm asking you to violate that. I'm asking you to go counterculture. I'm asking you to do what you have done this morning, which is press outside of your home, outside of your bubble, and come be with us. Because it will keep you alive and healthy and give you the purpose that God designed you for. I'm asking you to be healthier and not have your life just easier. Very important. And then... Finally, he said this, 
if we have a solid identity, it's going to change how we act. Listen to how he says it. Because of our security and significance in Christ, we don't need to be controlled by the opinions and responses of other people. We have nothing to prove because we know who and whose we are. The more we're concerned about what God thinks of us, the less we'll be worried about what other people think of us. And when we're no longer enslaved to people's opinions of us, we're free to love and serve them like Christ loves us with no strings attached. By loving God completely, we discover who and whose we are as we come to see ourselves as God sees us. In this way, we become secure enough to become other-centered rather than self-centered. And it enables us to become givers rather than grabbers. When we understand that Christ's resources are our resources, we can become secure enough to serve other people without expecting reciprocity. In other words, when you're filled up, you don't need to take from everyone else. If we do this year right, And we allow the identity of Christ to saturate us, to build us up, to make us full, then we can walk out into the world and give without worrying about getting back because we don't need anything from them. We have more than enough. Most of what we do in our life is we try to manipulate other people to give us stuff. How wonderful would it be to be healthy enough to say, No, thank you. I'm full. But I have something to give you. Hmm. It all begins with you. Why? Because your individual health of your identity directly affects me. It messes up our culture. Healthy individual identity means healthy families. Healthy families means a healthy church. And a healthy church means a healthy city. And a healthy city means a healthy region. And a healthy region means a healthy state. And a healthy state means a healthy nation. And a healthy nation can impact the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father. You have given us all that we need and more. Lord, if we could only understand what you have poured down, what you have given to us, what you have prepared for us, what you have worked within us, what you have built and constructed and designed, then God, we would have more than enough in our minds. Yet we are walking as if we are wounded and empty. We are walking as if it is scarcity and we don't have enough. We're walking as if we need to take and steal from other people. And God, that's not right. That's not who we are. You have already lavished your grace upon us. Therefore, we are filled up with grace. You have already given us all our purpose and meaning, and we don't need more meaning. Lord, you've already given us all that we need for today, so we don't need more. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters right here today would begin to receive what you are saying to us deeply in their hearts. Holy Spirit, you said you would take what the Father and the Son says, and that you would bring that into our hearts and make it true for us. We need that right here, right now. I pray a blessing over all of us that we might receive the identity of Christ into our lives. 
I pray, Lord, that we would be healed at the deepest places. I pray, Lord, that we would be knit together, that we would be fixed and healthy. And even in the places where we're broken, Lord, we can worship you. That we don't have to have everything perfect before we do. God, would you fill your people with your presence? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.